Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with Christ and the Kingdom Age as we pick up in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Shall we turn to Isaiah chapter 11 for the beginning of our study this evening? In the 10th chapter, the closing part of chapter 10 of Isaiah, and again, let me remind you that the chapter distinctions were made by men, not by the authors. But years later, in order that we might be able to ready reference scriptures in order that you might be able to find them easily. They divided the Bible into chapters and verses, uh, and that is only for our benefit so that we can reference. And so in the dividing of the Bible into the chapters and verses, this is not the way the Bible was written, but it's only divided that way for our benefit so that we can find a passage more easily. Rather than saying, well, it's in Isaiah, we can say, well, it's in Isaiah, the 11th chapter in the first verse, you know. And and that way we can find it and it makes it much easier for us. But in the dividing, they did their best to, to make the proper divisions of chapters, but unfortunately, many times they cut off a thought more or less in the middle. And because we are in a habit of reading a book a chapter at a time, sometimes we start the new chapter without reference to the previous chapter in reading the Bible. Or we start just in one area and and we just quit at the end of the chapter And many times the thought is carried over right on into the next chapter. Now, this is one of those areas where the thought in the end of chapter 10 is that God in his judgment is going to cut down the nations like the trees of Lebanon, just going to hew them down and there's just going to be stumps. God's going to wipe out the nations and all, leaving just sort of stumps. And so with all of these stumps, there shall come forth a stem or a rod, a branch out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. So you have the picture now of the nations being leveled, looking like just a forest that has been cut down, down to the stumps. But out of one, and that is out of Jesse, there is going to be a new life, a new branch coming forth, a stem. And of course, this is a beautiful prophecy concerning Jesus Christ and the kingdom age as the nations have been leveled as the result of the battle of Armageddon 
And out of the debris, the new life will arise. And Jesus, the branch out of the stem of Jesse. And so this again is a prophecy concerning the Messiah, declaring that he shall come actually from the house of Jesse, which of course was the father of King David. And so it is a reaffirmation of God's promise to David that God would build David a house, that out of David's lineage, the Messiah would come. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and Heroic actions would be a better translation of the Hebrew word that is translated might. Not only does he make the right decisions, but he has the power to, de to, to work these decisions out, to put them into action. A lot of times we may know the right thing to do, but we haven't the capacity to do it. Uh, his is not only the counsel, the knowledge of what to do, but the ability to carry it out, the spirit of counsel and heroic actions. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Now, this is a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. This branch that is growing out of the roots of, of the tribe of Judah, the house of Jesse, the lineage of David. When he arises, the anointing of God's Spirit upon him, and more or less is referred to as the sevenfold anointing of the Spirit. In Revelation, you read in reference to the Holy Spirit there around the throne of God and the seven spirits which are before the throne of God. A difficult verse to interpret. Uh, we know that there is one Holy Spirit. What is the reference to the seven spirits that are there before the throne of God? There have been many suggestions that have been offered as to the possible interpretation of the seven spirits. Uh, some have declared that there are seven archangels, such as Michael and Gabriel. And in one of the books of the Apocrypha, the book of Esdras, you have uh, Sanskrit and Uriel and Raphael, and you have the names of seven what they call archangels or chief angels. And some believe that the seven spirits refer to the seven chief angels or archangels that are before the throne of God. That is one possibility. Another possibility is that the seven spirits before the throne of God 
are a reference to the sevenfold working of the Spirit in Jesus Christ, as uh, we find here in they use this 11th chapter, verses 2 and 3, as a reference for the interpretation of the sevenfold working of the Spirit in Jesus Christ. The Spirit of wisdom, understanding, the Spirit of counsel, and the Spirit of might, or the heroic actions that we mentioned, the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord, and of quick understanding the sevenfold working of the Spirit. So, which is the correct interpretation? Well, I just suggest you look into it and pray about it and find out what you're comfortable with. Uh, no way you can be dogmatic in that. It's, uh, uh, they are both possible uh, that they are correct, and it's possible that they're both wrong, and that there is something else that we'll discover when we get to heaven, and we'll say, oh, well, that's what they're talking about, the seven spirits before they're, all oh, right, you know, and so uh, I've got a lot of things that are filed up here in a catalog that says, wait for further information. And uh, so I hesitate being dogmatic on some of these issues where the Bible doesn't speak clearly on a subject is only sheer presumption for me to speak dogmatically. And I don't like to do that unless there is a clear indication in the scriptures. But those who say that it is the sevenfold or the complete working, seven being the number of completeness, complete working of the Spirit in the life of Christ as manifest in the life of Christ, use this passage as a reference to that idea. Now, he is coming to judge the earth. And his, his coming, in the brightness of his coming, it said that the Antichrist, the beast, will be destroyed with the sharp sword that goes forth out of his mouth. Now, the word of the Lord is like a sharp two-edged sword. And there is such power in the word of God. And God said, let there be light and there was light. It's known as divine fiat, the ability of God to speak something into existence, the tremendous power in God's word. God no sooner says it than it exists. It's a reality. The moment God declares it, it comes into existence or into being. So, here is this Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition, who has demonstrated such marvelous power that all the world is wondering after him, doing all of these wonders and signs and miracles so that the whole world is enthralled by this man of sin creating such a powerful military force that they say, who is able to make war with the beast? Seemingly to overcome everything that gets in his path. He starts moving down to conquer Africa. He passes through Egypt, 
gets to the borders of Libya and Ethiopia, when the news comes that China is invading from the east. And so he takes his troops and returns from the invasion to Africa to meet this invasion from China. And they meet together there in the valley of Megiddo. And as these tremendous forces of man are in this horrible war, they're in this plains of Jezreel, the valley of Megiddo, Jesus comes again. And this man who has deceived the world, this man who has caused the world to stand in awe and wonder at his power and all, this man who the world looks up to as the greatest leader the world has ever seen, the most powerful man who has ever lived, for Satan invests this man with all of his power and with all of his authority. Satan does for him what he volunteered to do for Jesus Christ, if Jesus would bow down and worship him. When he took Jesus up into a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and said, all of these will I give unto thee if you will bow down and worship me. And the glory of them, for they are mine, I can give them to whomever I will. Jesus refused it. But this man accepts and Satan gives to him his throne, his authority. And this man is ruling over the world with the powers of Satan behind him. And the whole world stands in awe. The two witnesses that God has sent that are anointed with power, Elijah, Moses, or Enoch, whoever else is Elijah's companion. This man has power to put them to death. And thus, he asserts his power over God, greater than God's. And the whole world is wondering after him and saying, who can make war with him? And Jesus comes and says, you've had it. And a guy goes. I mean, just the word that goes forth out of the mouth of Jesus Christ is all that's necessary. He doesn't get in a big conflict with him, doesn't get into battle with him. He just speaks the word, and the guy is totally wiped out. Oh, the power of the word of Jesus Christ. Now, he is coming then. He begins to judge. He gathers the nations together for judgment when he returns, Matthew 25. Now, when he judges, he doesn't call for witnesses. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need for someone to come in and testify against anyone else. In fact, when Jesus was here, John tells us that he didn't need that anybody should tell him about any man, for he knew men and he knew what was in men. Now, that can be rather a frightening thing if you're on the wrong side of the fence. To know that here's a man, and, and that's what the woman at the well of Samaria, when she went to tell her friends in town, come and meet a man who told me everything I've ever done. Oh, man. That's sort of heavy. Of course, that's the thing that attracted Nathaniel. When he met Jesus, he said, well, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. He said, how did you know me? He said, well, when you were over there sitting under the fig tree, I saw you. Oh, truly you are the Messiah, the Son of God. He said, Jesus said, you believe just because I tell you I saw you on a fig tree? Stick around, you're going to see a lot more than that. But he realized that Christ had this 
perception, the ability to see right into a man. And Jesus exercised this perceptive ability, that of being able to see right into it. And so he does not judge by hearing testimony or witness. He knows. I mean, uh, he judges by that thorough, total knowledge that he has of each of us. The Bible says that everything is naked and revealed before him with whom we have to do. I mean, you can't hide or cover a thing when you stand before the Lord. He looks right through you and he sees everything. His x-ray vision perceives all. I'm thankful that I have the shield of, it's not a lead shield, but it's a blood shield, the blood of Jesus Christ. I mean, that, that just wipes out <laughs> all of the past. And I'm so glad for that forgiveness and that cleansing of the past through the blood of Jesus Christ so that when he looks at me, he sees me pure, righteous, and holy. And that's the only way I want it. <laughs> I want to stay in, in Christ. I want to abide in him. I don't want to have to stand before him and have him just look through me and, and read me off and, and all. I like it, living in Christ where there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So he does not reprove after the hearing of the ears. He doesn't have to have anybody give testimony. But in righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth and will smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And the Bible tells us that in the kingdom age he'll rule with a rod of iron. And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. And now the conditions that will exist when he reigns upon the earth, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. We see not the world that God created. We see a world that is suffering the curse because of man's sin. And the curse has spread out into the animal kingdom. It's spread out into the areas, of, the whole area of the earth. The earth is cursed. Thorns and thistles shall the ground produce. The animals at war with each other. That's why nature does not give us a true picture of God. It can declare to us his glory, his power, his majesty, his might, but it doesn't declare his love because the earth is in rebellion against God. But when Jesus establishes his kingdom, even the animal kingdom will be at peace. And I can see a little child taking a lion by the mane and dragging it around, you know. What a tremendous pet that's going to make. My little daughter... Oh, my little daughter. Help, that's been a while. My grown daughter, Cheryl, now a mother. As she was growing up, always had a great fascination for lions. Loved to draw lions. She wanted a lion for a pet. Never got it, but the day will come when a little child will lead them about. The cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw. 
like an ox, no longer carnivorous. And a nursing child shall play on the hole of the asp, very poisonous snake. And a weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. And they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now that's what you're praying for when you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. As I say, you do not see the earth today as God created it, as God intended it. You see the earth as it is suffering as the result of man's rebellion against God. And that is why it is manifestly wrong to blame God for all of the pain and the hurt and the bloodshed and the evil and the hatred that is in the earth today and demonstrated in all of these horrible things. It won't be that way when Jesus comes to reign. We'll continue with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Isaiah on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Isaiah 11 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you. Fill your heart with love. Fill your heart with praise. Fill your heart with God's Spirit that He might work in you, bringing you into the image of Christ, helping you to be what God wants you to be, a true representation of Him before this poor, sad, sin-cursed world. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Guess what? I just got a new book by Pastor Chuck Smith. What? Pastor Chuck doesn't write books for kids, just big people. Yeah, he does. Hey, I heard about that too. My mom told me about it. It's called The Story of Noah. And not only that, Pastor Chuck even read it to me. Pastor Chuck read you the book? Yep, and he can read it to you too. 
The Story of Noah is the first of four children's books Pastor Chuck has written for kids three years of age and up. It's never too early to start reading to your children timeless Bible stories filled with exciting facts and practical application for kids taught by Pastor Chuck. And as a gift, each book contains an audio CD of Pastor Chuck actually reading the story of Noah so your kids can read along. To order your copy, call the word for today at 800-272-WORD or to see a sneak preview of the story of Noah, also now available as an iBook digital download, you can visit us online at thewordfortoday.com. Again, the number to call 1-800-272-WORD.